If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 4. It's uh, good to be with you on a Sunday morning. Uh, I've been preaching at another church in our presbytery on Sunday mornings, and they've called a pastor. So uh, next Sunday is my last Sunday there. Um, maybe I'll see you a little bit more on Sunday mornings. I am here on Sunday night and Wednesday night, but uh, Matthew uh, chapter 4. The first temptation of Jesus, we, I think I want to begin reading uh, at the end of chapter 3, which sort of sets the context to uh, this uh, temptation, these uh, series of temptations. So Matthew uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse uh, 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this privilege and opportunity to worship you. We thank you for Christ. We thank you that he sent the Holy Spirit to assist us and to teach us. And we pray that the Spirit would be at work taking these words and fulfilling and accomplishing your purposes in our lives today. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a trip into the future. Maybe not too far into the future. But imagine that technology has produced a way to eliminate all pain and suffering. By an inexpensive surgical procedure, they can tap into your nervous system and enable you to shut down all pain. Maybe you wear a special watch or some kind of innocuous collar around your neck. And when those pain signals come and you feel that pain, you press a button. No more pain. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You hit your thumb with a hammer. You press the button. The pain goes away. You have that sliver in your finger and it hurts to try to get it out. You press the button and you can just go in there and dig as much as you want and pull it out. Maybe there's other uses for this. You're on a diet. 
<laughs> and those uh, longings come for chocolate. Press, press a button and those longings are gone. Think of the spiritual ramifications of this. Maybe the pain of sin and shame can be removed with the press of a button. May the pain of that strained relationship removed. Instant calm and peace. Imagine funerals without tears. If such a thing was possible, should we do it? No. <laughs> would something like this really be beneficial? What would we lose in this kind of arrangement? What would we become? How would shutting down all pain impact us? Well, I fear without pain, we would become less than human, more like robots. Without pain, we would lose the beneficial results that come with pain. Physically, pain tells us something is wrong. Touch the hot stove and immediately you pull your hand away. Just think if the pain wasn't there, you just leave your hand on the stove and a lot of damage can be done. Spiritually, pain can lead to sanctification and growth. With the possibility of ridding ourselves of pain, we would become driven by our needs and the satisfaction of those needs. A people of quick and easy solutions. Maybe we have become that. In a very real way, this is what Jesus faced in his first temptation. Use your power, use your divine nature to satisfy your needs. You're hungry? No problem. Change those stones into bread. What could be wrong with that? What harm would it do to use your power to change these stones into bread? The way Jesus responds to this temptation helps us to focus ultimately on what is most important in life. And along the way, we'll learn some things about temptation as well. Following his baptism, Jesus has fasted 40 days and 40 nights. A time of spiritual reflection, a time of spiritual discipline, a time when he, as the true son of God, is paralleling Israel's journey in the Old Testament. A time when he did not eat food. And so he's hungry. He is a human being. Satan craftily approaches Jesus in this first temptation by, by means of a legitimate need that Jesus has. Hunger is a legitimate need. Food is something that God gives us for our benefit and blessing. We pray over our meals to thank God for his provisions and to ask him to bless the food we're about to take for our physical nourishment. I know some of you, and myself included, have been in some places of the world. We're not sure what is there in front of us that we are about to eat. And that prayer becomes really significant and helpful. It's not just a formality. Satan tempts Jesus at the point of a legitimate need. Temptation can come to us disguised in a legitimate need, something that seems so natural. We have the need to satisfy our hunger. We have other needs. 
We face legitimate needs every day, but the question is, how are we going to meet those needs? We live in a world that is driven by our needs and the fulfillment of those needs. But the question is, how? How should we meet those needs that we have? Can they be met in in any way? Part of what we will see this morning is the way Jesus responds is instructive to us, putting this into proper context. So temptation comes through legitimate need. But Satan also attacks Jesus in a moment of weakness. Now, weakness according to his human nature. This is not sinful. His human nature is not sinful. But Satan appoints Jesus at the point of his humanity. After he has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he's physically famished. He's hungry. He's vulnerable. And Satan wants him to use his divine powers to overcome the limits of what it means to be a human being. He hits him at a point of weakness. We all have our points of weakness. Satan knows what they are. And you can be sure that he will come to you at your points of weakness. He knows which buttons to press. He knows, because of past history, how you are going to react when those buttons are pressed. Maybe you've read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. It's written from the side of Satan's dominions as they strategize as to how to keep people from becoming believers or how to even trip up those who are believers. And so I want to read a short paragraph from from that book written from one of Satan's dominions uh, perspective. I once had a patient, a sound atheist who used to read in the British Museum. One day as he sat reading, I saw a train of thought in his mind beginning to go the wrong way. The enemy, the enemy's God's side, right? The enemy, of course, was at his elbow in a moment. Before I knew where I was, I saw my 20 years work begin to totter. If I had lost my head and begun to attempt a defense of my argument, I should have been undone. But I was not such a fool. I struck instantly at the part of the man which I had best under my control. And suggested that it was about time that he had some lunch. The enemy presumably made some counter suggestion that this is more important than lunch. I said quite much too important to tackle at the end of a morning. And added much better to come back after lunch and go into it with a fresh mind. By this time he was already halfway to the door. Once he was in the street, the battle was one. Satan knew where this man's weakness was. 
So temptation can come through a legitimate need. Temptation can come through a point of weakness. And it's related to his humanity, Jesus' humanity. But also, if you pay attention to this first temptation, this temptation challenges Jesus in an area that we don't have. It challenges Jesus in his deity. Notice how the temptation is put. Verse 3. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. A challenge for Jesus to prove that he is the Son of God by taking this action. This is why the end of chapter 3 is important. It's why the baptism of Jesus is important. Because at the baptism, we hear these words from God the Father himself, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is publicly commissioned as the Son of God in his baptism. He's led into the desert where he fasts 40 days. He's very hungry. And the challenge comes to him, if if you are really the Son of God, change these stones into bread. God the Father had declared that Jesus was the Son of God and now Satan is challenging him to prove it. Prove that you are the Son of God by changing these stones into bread to satisfy your need of food. You see, there's a lot more at stake here than just the satisfaction of hunger, isn't there? What kind of a son is Jesus going to be? How will he use his divine powers? Will he seek to prove his divinity? Will he assert special privileges as the son of God? That he deserves certain things. You know that rich kid attitude? You've ever seen it? I'm the son of God. Why should I suffer? Why should I go hungry? Why should I struggle? Why not change these stones into bread? Jesus knew it was the Father's will to endure the hardship of humanity. The hardship of living in a fallen world, even the the hardship of suffering and death. And during his days of humiliation, even though he was equal to his father in power and glory, he took upon himself human nature and submitted himself to the will of his father while he was here on the earth. And he did not have to prove that he was the son of God. We too are sons of God. And I use that term sons of God on purpose. Yes, it includes all of us as male and female. But but it's a term that's used in the New Testament to refer to the status that we all have granted to us by God through Jesus Christ. Emphasizing our status as heirs of all the privileges and the blessings that God has for us as sons of God. 
Jesus is unique as the Son of God, but we too are sons, and Jesus shows us what it means to live as the Son of God. Sonship does not have to be proved. Sonship does not mean you'll avoid the hardships of life. Sonship is not seeking your own glory. Sonship is about one thing. It's about doing the will of God in whatever situation God has placed you. Jesus shows his willingness to identify with our humanity by embracing his own humanity. If he had used his divine powers to avoid the pain and suffering of of what it means to be a human being living in this world, he would have separated himself from us. It would be like using that button we talked about earlier. When pain comes, you just press it and shut it down. If Jesus had used his divine powers to avoid pain, he would have short-circuited his humanity. And that would have been devastating for us. We don't need a Superman Savior who flies out of the sky to save us. We need a divine Savior, yes. But we need a human mediator who understands what it's like to be hungry. Who understands what it's like to be tired. Who understands what it's like to experience suffering and difficulty temptation. We need a sympathetic ear that knows the depths of human pain and suffering. We need a human sacrifice willing to stand in our place and carry our sins. If Jesus had used his powers to avoid suffering, he would not be the kind of priest that we need. A priest, as one hymn says, all our griefs to bear. He would not be a friend for sinners, as we sung about. He would not be a man of sorrows. We would not proclaim hallelujah. What a Savior. You see, Jesus' humanity is at stake. Will he use his powers to avoid suffering, or will he truly enter into our world of pain and difficulty and struggle? His answer makes it very clear where he stands. And his response in each of these temptations is to quote Scripture. It's a good example of how we should face temptation. And it's a good reason why we should memorize Scripture so that we have it ready to use in situations. He cites Deuteronomy 8.3. Here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, where Moses is giving a review of the, of the wilderness experience from Deuteronomy, looking back and giving a review of the experienced time of Israel in the wilderness and how God took care of Israel. And part of the purpose of that wilderness experience was to humble and test the people. Forty-year training for one generation to die away and for the next generation to be raised up in order to go into the land of promise. And God allowed their hunger. And then he supplied food in the form of manna. And what God was trying to teach the people 
is what's stated here by Jesus in Matthew 4, verse 4, from Deuteronomy 8, 3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the opportunity comes. The challenge comes. Satisfy your hunger, Jesus, by changing these stones into bread. No. Why? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's something, Jesus says, there's something more important in life than physical hunger and physical bread. Man shall not live by bread alone. There's something more basic to life than the meeting of our physical needs. Does that sound strange to you? That there's something more basic in life than the meeting of our physical needs? It's going to sound strange to the world in which we live. What could be more basic than meeting my needs? We live in a society dominated by our needs and the meeting of those needs and the fulfillment of those needs in in whatever way possible. As important as our needs are at one level, and hunger is a legitimate need, Jesus teaches that there's something more important in life even than that. What could be more important than, than, than meeting my, my needs? Jesus answers that by this quote. By every word that comes from the mouth of God. What could be more important than meeting my needs? Doing the will of God. Now, thankfully, most of the times in our lives, doing God's will and the meeting of our legitimate needs are not going to be in conflict. But sometimes they might be. And doing God's will must take precedent over even meeting our legitimate needs. Jesus teaches that bread or food is is not the sustaining power of life. The word of God is the sustaining power of life. Life does not come from bread alone. It comes from the word of God. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but shall live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That word which brought this creation into existence in Genesis 1. God speaks and things happen. That word which sustains the world in which we live so it doesn't collapse. That word which brings new life into people's lives that are dead in sin. That word which expresses God's will for us. That word which is life and power. And Jesus understood this. He meets each of these temptations by quoting from this powerful word. He did not use his divine power to avoid suffering related to his human nature. In his humanity, he subjected himself to his father's will and the revealed word of God. In his humanity, he was tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. 
Where Adam failed in the garden, Christ succeeds. Where Israel failed in continual disobedience, Christ has fulfilled the word of God. And where we have failed, Christ has triumphed. He didn't use his divine powers to avoid the full brunt of what it means to be a human being in this world because he knew he was sustained by the power of the word of God. We don't need a watch or a collar that will eliminate our pain and suffering because we have something much better. We have a Savior who's both fully God and, and fully a full human being who bore our pain and suffering on the cross. And we have the Word of God, our source of health, our source of life, our source of strength. And we have the promise that one day Jesus will destroy the power of sin and we will enter into a world that will be free of pain and sorrow. And even in the difficulties of life which we now experience, the power of that word is seen by faith. Rick Canada, some of you may know that name. He was sent to Charlotte to begin and establish Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte in the early 90s. And uh, I was hired in 1995, probably the fourth or fifth professor that they hired. And Rick tells the story of his younger brother, Dave. A young man academically talented, athletically inclined, <clears throat> tragically came down with leukemia. It was heartbreaking for Rick and Dave and, and the rest of the family. And yet Dave, as Rick tells the story, did not sulk and feel sorry for himself. He, he wasn't angry with God. His, his one desire was to point others the Savior, Jesus Christ. All through his illness, that was his main concern, to be a witness for Jesus Christ, that others would come to know Jesus Christ. He witnessed to every nurse on the floor. Many of them were already Christians. But there was an orderly he was not sure about, and he wanted to make sure that he shared the good news with him while he had time. This was back in the late 60s and some of the advancements that we have experienced uh, with this particular disease had not yet taken place. And so Dave, Rick's brother, died at the age of 19 on the wedding anniversary of his parents, February 10th, 1970. Here was a physical life Fading away. Death seemed to win. But life was evident. The power of, of life that comes from the Word of God was evident in Dave's life as he continued to give testimony to the power of Christ. 
and the power of the word of God. This is the principle that Jesus is talking about. Man shall not live by bread alone. Man shall not live by his physical life alone. But by the power that comes from the word of God. We have the promise that one day this life that we know, we've experienced it through Jesus Christ, will be victorious because Christ has been victorious. And Jesus will one day destroy the power of sin and we will enter into a world that is free of tears and pain and sorrow and disease. And so as followers of Jesus, now we must see beyond the false message of our culture so centered on the fulfillment of our desires that we begin to live our lives as followers of Jesus in such a way that that life that we have becomes evident to those around us. That word that has transformed our spiritual lives will one day transform all of creation including our physical lives, we will receive brand new glorified bodies. I can't wait for that. (laughs) So brothers and sisters, do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let the word of God consume your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a Savior who understands what it's like to face the challenges of living in this fallen world in which we live and all the many different heartaches and struggles and pain and sorrow that we experience living in this world. We're thankful that we know that we have a high priest who has experienced those same problems and difficulties because he took upon himself our nature. We thank you for the preservation of that nature that he faced every temptation without sin. We thank you that he succeeded and that he has won our salvation. We pray that you would, through Christ, continue to pour out your Holy Spirit that we might be empowered to live a life that reflects the power of the life that you have given to us. The power that comes from your word. May we give ourselves over to that word. We thank you and we pray that Christ would be glorified. In his name we pray. Amen.